This is Sex Ed Debunked, a cross-generational podcast hosted by mother-daughter duo, Christine and Channing Curley, where we talk about all the things you learned or didn't learn in sex ed and where it all went wrong. From the abstinence curriculum to the monogamy myth and the vast spectrum of rainbow representation, we'll get real about sex positivity and catch you up on everything from proper anatomy to the holistic benefits of a great sex life. Tune in to Sex Ed Debunked wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us at Sex Ed Debunked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Sex Ed Debunked, a podcast about sex ed for life, sex positivity, and the seven and a half minute long sex scene from Blue is the Warmest Color. Seven. Seven and a half. Seven and a half? Seven and a half minutes. It's insane. How have I not watched this movie yet? <laughs> well, it's a movie about lesbians, uh, uh, and it right. came out in 2003, and it's, I think, three hours long, and I think NC-17 rating. But what it was most known for in the beginning was that it has seven and a half minute long sex scene. And Which is a, like a third of the length of our entire podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and in and in contrast, how long are the sex scenes in romantic comedies involving uh, men and women? Um, thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. Maybe best. a minute and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it. It's an important scene. Okay, it's an important scene because the myth of today's episode is that orgasms are the only goal of sex. And obviously it's not seven and a half minutes straight of orgasms. It's about connection and intimacy. But it is seven and a half minutes long, which is... A lot. Remarkable. A lot of minutes. Remarkable for the movies, but not remarkable for real life. (laughs) We really hope that in real life that the journey of sexual pleasure lasts much longer than seven and a half minutes. Um, Unfortunately, uh, the research shows us for heterosexual sex, often it does only last seven and a half minutes. Womp, womp, womp. Well, and that's why today we'll be talking about the myth that orgasms are the only goal of sex, because if that were true, then seven and a half minutes might be totally sufficient. But it's about a sexual experience, not about a sexual outcome. Yes. So, um, you know, as you figured out, we're your hosts, Christine and Channing Curley. And the myth today is orgasms are the only goal of sex. So for today's episode, I actually did a little bit of homework um, and I read the article that you shared with me, mom, from your human sexuality class that you teach at UConn. Um, the article is by Pamela Madsen and we'll share the link in the references for our episode this week. But what the article tackles is this exact myth. Um, and it says that sex is and should be about more than an orgasm um, because otherwise you're just focusing on the destination and not the journey. And that is a waste of a really good road trip. It is. It is. Oh, I I am kind of a destination girl, I'll have to say, but um, not in this respect, I hope, because otherwise we shouldn't be doing this episode. (laughs) Not at all. And what I'm going to do a little bit today is read some excerpts from Pamela Matson's blog. Um, She runs a company called Back to the Body. Um, Her words are better than mine because she's been working to help um, particularly women, but also men and um, other genders to reach their erotic potential and access their erotic energy for over a decade. So... What she talks about is the society's preoccupation around orgasm. And these are her words here. I'm going to make a bold statement here. Orgasm is not the goal of every sexual experience and connection for either partner. We get so stuck on this idea that quality sexual intimacy must end in an orgasm. What if we change our point of view about having an orgasm? Think of it this way. Do you think that having an orgasm will always bring with it a feeling of satisfaction, completion, or nirvana? Let's go back to the book or movie metaphor. How many of you have read a book or watched a movie 
and loved the story, but felt disappointed in the ending. When the intention is just on the orgasm, you get the same result. Pleasure's the journey, not always the end point. Hmm. How many times I go to the movies and what do I, what's the first question I ask when I say, hey, what, what was that movie? Did it have, Did it a, have good a good ending? ending? Yeah. <laughs> I think the metaphor probably that most of us are most familiar with here is the, uh, that well-known old school baseball metaphor. So, you know, the bases, but sure, what you're always looking for, right? Or what in, you know, middle school and high school was always like the home run. But if you don't appreciate just getting on base, then you're missing out a lot of the game. Um, and if you actually know anything about baseball, then you know that anytime you get on base, it's good. You know, your your batting average has to do with any time you get a hit, not just when you score a home run. That's right. You don't get you don't get extra points on your batting average for a home run. A home run is a hit like any other hit. Right. And for some of us non-athletic types, at least in the area of baseball, I'm pretty happy to be on the team and play in the game. <laughs> and that's kind of what this is about. <laughs> so so the other thing that Pamela Madsen talked about in the blog, and I'm going to quote a bit more, um, as I said, her words are, are spot on and better than anything I can invent myself. So she says, and forget our partners. If women don't have an orgasm, it's often our sexual partners who feel that something's wrong, not only with us, but with our own sexual ability. We have to drop achievement of the big O as the standard barrier of our erotic happiness. How about connectgasm or pleasuregasm or joygasm, which parenthetically, I love those terms and I love those words. But sometimes orgasm can really be beside the point. There's so much pleasure and intimate connection that can be found in taking the time to explore sexual arousal as a meal in and of itself. I I like that idea of kind of changing up the words and the verbiage around it too. And it makes me laugh because how many times have I like gone out with my friends and we get like a dessert and someone's like, it's orgasmic. Yes, but it's <laughs> right? true. <laughs> but we've sort of re like reserved the word orgasm for a sexual experience. But I think it's fun to play with language a little bit. Like, you know what? A chocolate lava cake can be orgasmic in the sense that it's a pleasure gasm, right? Right. And let's maybe, maybe we're using orgasm to mean pleasure. So let's me let's say pleasure to be broader and not just meaning orgasm, because yeah, I've had a lot of desserts that I could definitely put in that category. I had a I used to, I had an old partner and we always used to joke um, because we really liked going on home goods dates where we'd be like, <laughs> do you want to go to home goods? And we'd be like, oh, say it again. <laughs> but the point is that there's I think orgasm has been reserved in this very this like temple of sex as not only the end goal, but something that is an experience you can only have sexually. But I like the idea of playing with the language in a different way that there's more to orgasm than sex, but there's also more to sex than just pure orgasm. Yeah. Let's see if we can get that new word. Maybe we'll just talk about pleasuregasms more often. I like joygasm because <laughs> it's the same syllabic. Um, it does. Yeah. It does. As, a, as a words person, I'm like, I like it because it still follows the same general rules. Um, but, it's all about grammar. So... But this is all kind of about the re-education, right? When I say let's play with words and use our language differently, it goes back to the idea of re-educating ourselves about sexual pleasure, right? Exactly. And and that's uh, that's what she kind of closes with in her in this blog post is perhaps it's time to re-educate ourselves about sexual pleasure. We be some such a goal-oriented society, which is true, right? And this is my words that we are goal-oriented in everything. Mm -hmm. And it, and and it's not unrealistic that it's 
that it bleeds over into our sexual life to have a goal. Like, I want to know. I don't know where I'm going here. But that's the re-education. Because as she says, we've become such a goal-oriented society that we often don't look out the windows on the train. It's all about getting where we think we need to be going. And it's often really the journey itself that holds the treasures for our mind, body, and spirit. It's funny because I am the kind of person who is, you know, if I'm driving somewhere or walking somewhere quickly, I'm always like, it's about the destination, not the journey. I know. I know. And me I know, too. I know you're like that too. <laughs> but in this, so this metaphor for me is is kind of tough because I'm like, well, most of the time I actually think it is about the destination, not the journey. But this is more like, you know, if you uh, order a five-star meal, but you eat it like fast food, you know, just like shovel it all down, then you didn't get to enjoy it. Like, you know, it's, is, is your meal about the calories or is it about the experience? Exactly. And sexual encounters, sexual activity, a sexual experience. It doesn't always have to be a gourmet meal, but it still should be something that's savored. So it's not to say that orgasms aren't good. They can be, but all the rest of it is too. The touch, the words, the connection. And if we're only focused on, as you said, getting calories in, we're kind of missing that this meal is delicious. So I want to talk about um, the idea of love languages because, you know, I think a lot of people have, have understand this idea of like the five love languages. This is something that's become really uh, popular, I think, in the last few years. I think it's Gary Chapman who does the five love languages. And when we're talking about why orgasms shouldn't be the only goal of sex or we're debunking that myth, I think it's useful to remember that there are ways that people feel connected to their partner and feel more connected in relationships. And that also goes into sexual love languages. So the love languages, for those of you who um, may not know or just need a refresher, are receiving gifts, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, and physical touch. And I think, you know, we can see how that manifests in a relationship when we're not talking about sex, right? Words of affirmation is, hey, I love you. You know, I, I love you. I appreciate you. Quality time is putting aside that time to spend with your partner. Acts of service can be something like doing the dishes. Um, physical yeah. touch is physical touch. But there's also a way to think about this in terms of sexual love languages, because mm -hmm. for some people, you know, words of affirmation of whether it's talking dirty words of affirmation or it's you're so beautiful, I love your body affirmation, um, quality time, it's that difference between is it hot and heavy, rush it sex, or is it let's take let's the time take, let's to take the journey. explore. Exactly. And of course, physical touch makes a lot of sense, but there's different ways of showing that physical touch. Um, an acts of service is, you know, some for some people, an act of service might be being a top. For some people, being an act of service might be being a bottom, depending on what your partner likes. And so I just, I think it's important to talk about that full body experience because again, that moves away from the goal-oriented orgasm sex and talks about the fact that there's so much more that goes in to it and your partner may have these different sexual love languages that also create a fuller experience for them. And, and understanding that you and your partner might have different languages. So for you, for one person, physical touch might be, you know, touching breasts, touching the genitalia. Someone else, physical touch might just be a light stroking on, on the arms or, or holding or you kissing. on your back or kissing. Or, or maybe someone's physical touch might be, might be firmer, might be grabbing. Sometimes someone's words of affirmation might not be about physical affirmation. It might be, it's amazing when I, when I see you 
at your computer and how intense you are and how much you love your work. I think your intensity is amazing. I think your loyalty is amazing. You know, getting away from focus even on the body, like the whole body, the whole person experience. You mm -hmm. are amazing because I see how loyal you are to your friends. I see how much you love. I want to take a minute too, though, and talk about the the downside of the fact that there are such a thing as bad orgasms. Mm -hmm. Does that surprise you? That there's like such a thing as a bad orgasm? I guess I would be curious of how that's like operationalized. What does mean? What does it mean to have a bad orgasm? Because I, I guess that's it. Like I don't. I don't know. Well, and and. That's I was kind of curious myself, and there's actually a recent study that came out in 2019, and what they did is they surveyed 720-odd people across genders, across um, sexual orientation, using Facebook and Reddit to recruit people. And what they asked them was, how many of you have experienced bad orgasms, essentially, in consensual sexual encounters. Because I think we do tend to think that the bad stuff happens when you're coerced. And it's in, in relationships, sometimes you do have unwanted sex, or sometimes you do feel pressure. And what's shocking to me is that across genders, across sexual orientations, 55% of the individuals who took this survey said at least one occasion, they had bad orgasms as a result of giving into sex, not in a, in a completely non-consensual way, but in a way that they felt pressured to have an orgasm. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me because how often, again, we talk about media and TV, but sure, you've also experienced this in your personal relationships, is the question at the end of a sexual experience, did you come? Did you finish? Right. And of course, that's going to put a ton of pressure on either partner to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's not just faking orgasms, which, you know, we there's you know, so much research and so much we could talk about there. But it's also, I think, faking and forcing, because if you didn't finish, then did you even have sex? Well, and, and sometimes because of that pressure and what was really interesting about this study is it was a combination. It's what they call a mixed method study. So part of it was a survey, but the other part was a free response. And they asked individuals to explain why the orgasms were not good. And they actually said because they were just physical and because mm -hmm. they felt pressure to like, are you there yet? Are you there yet? So they got themselves there. Right. But the journey sucked, basically. <laughs> it's like <laughs> they had to take the toll route. Like there was speed bumps. There was construction. There was, and it was not an enjoyable journey. And it was like, okay, I got to get there because – I they, there's this feeling that there has to be equality in, you know, both people have to orgasm, both people have to feel the same thing. Well, we know that doesn't happen. And, and certainly this whole idea of simultaneous is a whole other issue that's definitely a myth. But there's also a myth that if both partners don't orgasm, it wasn't a good sexual encounter, that that's the barometer of sexual satisfaction. And the frustration expressed in the individuals who answered the qualitative responses in this study was kind of like, it would have been so much better if I didn't have to orgasm. If if my partner just believed me when I said, this was an awesome experience together, I don't need to get there. Because right. the fact that they felt pressured to self-stimulate or do whatever well, was necessary to get there also, took away the experience. For some people, the experience of giving pleasure is pleasurable enough. Exactly. And it shouldn't be 
you know, oh, well, I guess it didn't count because you didn't, you know, you didn't come or you didn't orgasm. It's like, but for some people being, you know, a quote unquote top is the most enjoyable part of a sexual experience. And that doesn't mean, or, you know, some people are top, some people are bottoms, whatever. But for some people giving the experience of pleasure to a partner is what gives them the most erotic satisfaction and the most sexual satisfaction. And, and I would take that a step further, Shannon, and say most people, most people at least in a specific encounter. So so one of the things that's talked about in research and in um, articles and blogs is it's okay to say, this time's all about me. Next time's all about you. Maybe the next time it's just about playing and it's just about the journey. And if we understand that we don't have to have equality, meaning both parties orgasm, we can let go of so much pressure and start experiencing pleasure instead of pressure. Mm -hmm. So back to the orgasm gap or the pleasure gap, if you will. Um, We're going to talk about that coming from three primary places. And some of these aspects we've talked about already, so we won't go into them. Pause. Pause. Redefine the the orgasm gap because we kind of brushed over it because we know what it is, but... You're you're correct. So, So research shows that there is an orgasm gap. Um, primarily, the research does look at men versus women. Um, and, and sadly, there's not a lot of um, research right there out there right now on genders outside of that binary. But in terms of looking at men and women, heterosexual women have the lowest orgasm rates. If you look at same sex, if you look at heterosexual men, gay men, lesbian women, bisexual men, bisexual women... Let's just say that the gap often comes from three primary things. Individually, you not understanding your wants, needs, and desires. Second, you not understanding your partner's wants, needs, and desires. And third, your partner not understanding yours. And as an aside, yes, there there's certainly cases where there's legitimate physical issues, emotional issues that, you know, we would recommend you going to a counselor or a therapist uh, that's really specially trained clinically, which which we are not. But these three basic pieces are an awful good start. Mm-hmm. So this, I think, um, we talked about a couple episodes. We talked about the erotic blueprints, and we brought up that question of, well, what do I? How do I know what I want? Mm-hmm. Um, and even without going into detail, I think you know there are what were there five different results of erotic blueprints, and each of those different identities. Um, or characteristics kind of show the different needs that someone might have in a relationship or in a sexual experience. And um, they are similar to what I was talking about with love languages that, you know, different people desire different things from their sexual experiences. And um, you can find the erotic blueprints quiz online. And uh, the sex therapist is um, Jaya, J-A-I-Y-A, who I had the, um, I was fortunate to meet several years ago at a conference in Denver, Um, she has been working with couples for years and she came up with this blueprint. And what the blueprint is, is understanding your energy around sexuality. So the love languages kind of go to a different type of experience, kind of an experience within a relationship, whereas the blueprint is more about your own erotic energy. And there's five blueprints, and we won't go into them in detail because you can find that online, but it's called, one is energetic, meaning you get the pleasure from the energy of the connection. Sensual, which is focused kind of more on that physical touch and not just touch, but also 
um, hot, cold, soft, hard, um, you know, rough, gentle, things like that. Then there's a shapeshifter, which kind of is across the spectrum. Then there's kinky. And some of the kinky is, is not, it could be role play, could be um, power exchange type dynamics, and then sexual. And so some people are really sexual. They are all in with the physical aspects of sexuality. And taking a quiz like that to understand what is what it is that you like and then what it is your partner likes is a huge part of the sexual journey. Not about reaching orgasm, but finding pleasure in the journey together. And it could be fun with your partner. If you take this quiz, it could be a fun thing to start a conversation. I mean, I have certainly had um, relationships where I've been like, what's your love language? You know, and it's good to know. It really is good to know because similar to this, corollary to this, you know, if my love language is words of affirmation, which it is, and my partner's love language is quality time, we need to figure out how to make that work for each other because I'm going to need my partner to affirm me and my partner is going to need me to make time for them. And it's not always going to be the same. And your love language, it's language. So someone might speak their love language differently than you do. And in the same way, if you understand your erotic blueprint, you know, you might have a partner who sees themselves or who experiences, you know, their erotic satisfaction in an energetic way, but you might experience it in a kinky way. And that doesn't mean that you're not compatible. It means that no. you now get the opportunity to make those things work and together. And to explore. Right. And and that is and, and if you are focused on orgasm, you've missed the exploration, the sexploration, the if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> to realizing that, hey, you know what, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not into um, power exchange dynamics or role play dynamic, but but my partner is. So let me give it a try because right. because it's kind of just fun and novel and new and part of that whole pleasurable experience. And when you put the whole orgasm thing, put it in the corner and you know what, if it happens... It happens as part of this experience that you've had together trying to understand what you like and what your partner likes and trying to find some place in the middle on that journey, which really is kind of the whole point of this sexual pleasure and the reason we want to debunk this myth. (laughs) I'm going to bring it back to a sports metaphor because of who I am. But I always I used to when I was younger, you know, think that winning was the only important thing. Mm, Yes, you did. (laughs) But now I can lose a soccer game and I can still be like, but I had fun. And I think that's part of being sex positive and part of being like sexually hygienic and just confident in your sexual experiences. As long as you had a good time, the goal of, of good, positive sex is having a fulfilling sexual experience. That's your goal. Orgasm is not your goal. Your goal is having a fulfilling sexual experience. So sex education, lifelong, it requires an understanding that there is more to sex than orgasms. So no matter what your age or level of experience, there is a lot more to positive sexual experience than crossing the pun intended <laughs> finish line. <laughs> That's funny. I'm sorry. I don't know why we're just riddling you with sports metaphors today, but here we are. Um, so that is an, that is our myth today is that goal, uh, that orgasms are the only goal of sex. They're not. Um, so another myth. Put to bed. Put to bed. Sexual pleasure is body, mind, emotions, and all all of the above. Um, Or maybe just one of the above. But it's what you want it to be. Whatever you want it to be. Go team. Go team. Go team. (laughs) (laughs) We use for victory. All right, great. Um, Thank you, as always, for tuning in to Sex Ed Debunked. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, suggestions for new episodes, feel free to shoot us an email at sexeddebunked at Gmail. And, of course, follow us on all the socials where we post updates and fun resources for our podcast every week. Take care and uh, have a good holiday season.
Oh, yeah. Happy holidays. Woo. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of Sex Ed Debunked. During the course of our podcast, we have limited time together, which means that unfortunately, many identities, groups, and movements may not be represented each week. The field of sexuality and gender orientations, identities, and behaviors are changing and growing rapidly, and we remain committed to being as inclusive as possible. Please remember that all of us, including us, are learning in this area and may occasionally slip up. We ask that we all continue to be kind to one another so that we can create a truly inclusive and accepting environment. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us at Sex Ed Debunked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Sex Ed Debunked is produced by Trailblaze Media along with myself, Shannon Curley, and Christine Curley. From Trailblaze Media, our engineering is handled by Ezra Winters. Mm-hmm.